Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast. In this episode, we talk about Hardware Bot Country Cup 2011, some of the best games we played all year, and the ones we can't wait to get to. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. Competition is in the air for the third annual Hardware Bot Country Cup. Hardware Bot Country Cup? Well, we know what Hardware Bot is, but what's the Hardware Bot Country Cup? The Country Cup is a competition at the end of the year, the Hardware Bot hosts, that actually somewhat celebrates the World Cup uh, that we might know from soccer. Oh, okay. It's a competition between countries for the overclockers on Hardware Bot. Normally, the overclockers are part of a team or they're an individual one man team, but for the Country Cup, it gets all of the overclockers from one country to compete against each other. Oh, so it is a lot like the World Cup. Yeah, basically. You know, support your country, support your people. So what is the competition? Well, I'm going to let you have Hardware Bot tell you what it's like. Okay. Reading off of Hardware Bot's Country Cup 2011 webpage, the main idea of the competition is still the same as last year. Work together as a team to put up the best possible result. Just like the previous editions, the Country Cup is divided into a number of stages each with their own benchmark and hardware limitations. To score points, each team needs different users to form the best possible average using different types of hardware. Points are given based on your country's rank in each stage, and the sum of all points forms the basis for the overall competition ranking. The competition has always revolved around a large set of stages to compete in over a rather short period of time. Just like any edition of the Hardware Bot Country Cup, we updated the format a little based on the feedback we received the year before. This year, 2011, we prolonged the minimum length of a stage to one week and a half, giving the teams enough time to prepare and set a score. Also new this year is the introduction of three levels of competition stages. They are Level 1 which lasts 10 to 11 days, has five users, five different setups, and 10 points will go to the winner. Level 2, which lasts 21 days, includes three different users on three different setups, and 15 points are given to the winner. And Level 3, the final stage, lasts 42 days, has only one user on one setup, and gives 25 points to the winner. So Dennis, I guess my question is, what is involved in these tests? What are the tiers? The different tiers are actually benchmarks that are supported on Robot that give you points. And some of them have limitations, such as level three is four stages. The first stage is a dual-core UC Bench 2011, which is actually a UNRAR encryption benchmark. Okay, that's a new one, isn't it? That is a new one. I'm going to say new this year, based on the 2011. Okay. But the limitation is dual-core, so any... Score that you submit has to be from a dual core processor. Okay. The obvious advantage here is to use a dual core processor with hyperthreading, which would be one of the new Core i5s or i3s. Okay. The next stage is actually a 3D Mark 01 IGP, and the key here is the IGP part. So you're going to be running 3D Mark 01 on hardware that has an embedded GPU. So this is going to be like the G series from Intel. So IGP is an embedded graphics processor? Exactly. Gotcha. And believe it or not, it'll be like running 3D Mark 01 when 3D Mark 01 came out. Oh, yeah, I guess. And it's going to be a lot slower. But the competition is going to be a lot fiercer because these embedded GPUs are pretty slow still. I'm going to be running a, a Fusion 
processor in AMD Fusion. So I'm going to kind of wonder if it's going to be a slideshow. Okay. Stage three is W Prime 1024, one core, two core, four core, six core, and eight cores. And as of us recording this podcast, that stage has not been open, so I'm not sure if it's everybody submits a score for a, a certain core count or if it's going to be taking into account, you know, five scores of an eight-core processor. So that one's coming soon. That one is coming soon. And stage four? Stage four is what they call memory clock, and this is going to be an overclock to test the limits of your motherboard and memory and pushing them as fast as you possibly can. So the highest score wins, basically. So in this first stage, there are five users. So how is that determined? Hardwarebot takes five of the top scores submitted per country. So if, say, for instance, the United States goes and submits 10 scores, it'll take the top five, average those together, and that is what that stage's score is going to be. And they award points based on how that score ranks within the, all the countries that have submitted scores. So now you mentioned earlier that the scores were tiered, so you earn weighted scores. Is that what's going on? The winner will get 10 points for state for level 3. Mm-hmm. So any benchmark in level 3. So there's a po- possible... 40 points in level three for the winners in each stage. And then it goes down in numerical progression of eight, six, five, four, three, two, one, and zero. People that don't actually rank, you know, anyone outside of the top 10 are just going to get no points based on what they submitted. So how many points do you need to get to advance? Basically, you need to have a point to advance because it's going to be a cumulative score. Tier two consists of two stages. The first one is the Heaven Benchmark, which is a DX9 using a GeForce 200 graphics card. So you can use any platform you want as long as it's a GeForce 200 video card, either a 260, 275, 280, 285, 295 for that matter. So the video card is the great equalizer here. It is. And then the next stage is PC Mark 7, which is the total system benchmark. And there's no limitations here, but you need to have the best score possible. So you're going to be using... You know, your SSDs in a RAID, you're going to use the fastest processor you can, you overclock your graphics card, anything goes for this one. So this is the extreme overclockers portion of the show. Definitely. And the points also go up. The the maximum points for first place is 15. So if you score well in the first, well, in level three, those points you get added to level two, and that goes towards your total score. How many people get scored in level two? It averages across three people, so the top three scores. So we're already knocking out two of your top overclockers just by going up a tier. Definitely. It's all additive at that point. So, And it, you, know, you can submit scores for just like one stage, or you can submit scores for all the stages. Your best chance would be for all the stages, of course. So if you advance past level two, what's next? The final stage, which is an AMD 3D Mark 11 performance benchmark. No hardware limitations? The hardware limitations, you have to use a processor made by AMD. Well, that's pretty obvious. Obviously. But it also is going to be the limiter because 3 Mark 11 is a DX11 benchmark. Mm-hmm. So most of the power is going to be in your graphics card. So you're going to be using like a, a 990, an HD 990. You're going to use an HD 6990 or the GTX 590, which is you know, dual GPU graphics cards. These are the fastest cards you can get. But once you have the AMD processor in there, you're not going to get much in terms of the CPU score unless you can really overclock this thing. And what's the point weight for the top? 25 points to the winner, and that they're only going to take one score. So it's the top score out of the whole thing. And all those points together, 
determine who wins the country cup. How does the United States do in these things? Historically, not so good. And part of that is because of participation. Look back at 2010, for instance, the United States ranked ninth and only had five points. And I see as we look through these that there's a real consistency, at least in the top two or top three. I know that Romania is the defending champion. They're having won both years, and the Russians a close second both years. And then the next couple three seem to kind of rotate, but there's a little bit of consistency there. But the United States is always in the, the lower... You know, for instance, in 2009, the United States was ranked 8th, and they had 10 points. I started looking into the scores a little bit more, and it was really based on participation. You know, there were certain stages where they didn't meet the minimum three benchmarks. So they didn't even score at all just because nothing was submitted? Exactly. And that's really the, the Achilles heel of a lot of these competitions that have multiple stages, is that you have to participate in every stage to be able to get enough points to advance. So I know the United States has traditionally had a pretty solid group of overclockers, and, and that's borne out also on hardware bot. So what keeps the participation so low in this? I really think it's a cultural difference, personally. How so? Well, you think about the, the European culture, and they're still very much into clubs and gatherings. Right. And in the U.S., we're not so much like that. I mean, the... You know, the obvious one is that we don't have World Cup soccer here that's really that big. You know, we're all about Monday Night Football and whatnot. Yeah, well, they really tried to bring World Cup soccer a couple of times to the States and just hasn't caught on. Yeah, you know, the the nature of Americans in, in general, I mean, there's exceptions and there's probably a big exception here, is that not everybody is very social. You know, you still get together on the weekends with some friends and whatnot, but... You don't get together and do club stuff as much. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that's true in a lot of the computer activities as well. We don't really do the LAN parties as much as we used to because it's just so easy to go online. Well, that and, you know, as you know, putting together a LAN party for anybody, anyone more than 10 people, that costs a pretty penny. You know, you got to get mm -hmm. your switches, you got to get a room, you got to make sure that you have power, and then you still have to get people to show up. You know, you look at some of the... Uh, the European land parties where they have country-sponsored ones and they'll go and rent out an aircraft hangar and have a, you know, a week-long land party. Yeah, that would be something, I tell you. You know, I'm thinking that some of that is the cultural difference. You know, we don't understand what World Cup is and the, how the tier structure works and, mm -hmm. you know, how you advance based on, well, we have the football mentality of it where if you win on Sunday, then you get to advance, you know, you get to the Super Bowl and stuff like that. But it's not exactly the same. Yeah, I agree. On hardware bot, at least, what kind of activity does America have? I mean, does it compare? Right now, things are a little challenging for Team USA, but we do have a fellow overclocker, Honda City, who's trying to rally support with the overclockers that he knows, and that's how I got involved. And now it's my turn to start spreading the word. You know, I look on hardware bot right now, and there's 2,000 overclockers in the United States, and 80 of those have 300 points or more. So we just need a small handful of those people to start submitting some scores and bring home the cup for the USA. Recently, a lot of game sites have declared 2011 the best year ever for gamers. And you know, Dennis, it's hard to disagree with that with so many really fantastic games out right now. I just don't have enough time to play everything that I want to. Well, with that being said, though, what are you playing? Well, that's a good question. I think uh, recently, at least over the last month or so, 
I've gone back to try and beat all of the different pieces of Fallout 3 New Vegas. And that's been challenging because there's a lot of new downloadable content. But it's also been a little frustrating. You know, it's such a great game and really so in-depth. But the downloadable content is, well, it's frustrating. I've been playing the uh, the expansions and it just, well, to put it bluntly, it just locks up regularly. So much so that, in fact, I rarely get 15 minutes of continuous play in on my PlayStation 3, I should say that, without a pretty catastrophic slowdown, which often leads to a lockup. But I just feel so compelled to beat it before Skyrim comes out. That's what I've been playing mostly. How about you? I just recently finished Deus Ex Human Revolution. You know, we talked about it in a previous podcast as a game that I was playing, Mm -hmm. and I finally finished it. I took my time playing this game because I really like the first-person single-player aspect of it and the fact that the levels are infinitely explorable, and depending on what you do in the game could affect the outcome of what happens at the end of the map or even later in the game. For instance, uh, there was one portion, one part of the game where you were got sent on a side quest to upgrade one of your augmentation chips, and you could do it or you could decide not to. Well, I went in and actually had the operation done, had the chip replaced, and I got stuck on another side quest to go and get some more Praxis points. Right. Later on, about four levels after that, I go and run into a boss fight, and they had disabled all of my augmentations. Oh, no. So I had to fight this guy old school with weapons and basically run around a little map, grab some weapons, duck and hide, and... You know, at the same time, you know, the screen's kind of messed up, so you can't really see. So it made it a real challenge. Had I not gone and done that upgrade, I would have been able to use my augmentations and the fight would have been easy. Well, it still sounds like a really interesting game. Would you still recommend it? I still would. It is a great game. It's one of those that has replay value. I've been planning to go and play it again and force myself to make some of the changes that, or make some of the choices this time that I didn't make last time. And then maybe, you know, pick one of the other alternate endings and see what happens. So that's uh, that's on the PC, right? That is on the PC. I'm not much of a console gamer unless it's a racing game. So, you know, we have the Xbox 360 and a whole bunch of racing games, and uh, they don't get much play anymore. So on the PC, I've been playing a lot of Battlefield 3, which is a pretty hot title right now. And we've talked a lot about some of the frustrations, and, and I'm finding that it is actually still a lot of fun in the multiplayer. And it still looks good in multiplayer. Oh, yeah, it looks amazing. In fact, some of the levels suffer, I think, from being so attractive that there is not quite as much balance as I'd like. But the the team play element is so present that the maps themselves, well, with very few exceptions, really seem to draw me in and I think promote team play almost without exception. Well, and that's a key thing of Battlefield is that it was really always a team game. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, I've been reading a lot of people that have been complaining about the single-player portions of Battlefield 3. Myself included. (laughs) Well, and it's kind of, to me, a little bit of a joke because in the past, all of the Battlefield games, including the Bad Company series, the single-player has almost been secondary and more of what I would say is a tutorial where really if there was any story, it was... Only there to keep it vaguely interesting. Yeah, I would call it a trainer. You know, Bad Company had a really good story for the single player and mm-hmm. a lot of good gameplay for the single player. There was a couple of annoyances which are standard in the Battlefield games, but, you know, I played the single player of Battlefield 3 
And one of my biggest pet peeves is when, you know, you try to break the mold going through the, the trigger points that they want you to go through. Right. You know, you run past everybody while you're hiding behind a van. Turns out that the squad leader has to be right where you are. So then he pushes you out into the street and you die and then you have to start all over. And that is really just bad gameplay in terms of you're supposed to be watching it and not necessarily playing it. Right. Now, I remember when you talked about that. So I went out and tried single player, not something I normally do in Battlefield. (laughs) And I put a fair amount of time into it. And I can honestly say that if you've seen the single player demo, which is really very cool and it sells the game well, that what you're really seeing is what you have to do in single player. Follow the guy, watch the dialogue, move to the action point. And like you, I found myself wanting to run ahead and I'd pass the next spot that I had to stop. I'd find myself going, okay, so now what? And I'd have to backtrack to the point where I was supposed to stop and wait for the story. That's so true. One of the other annoyances is, you know, you go past everybody, walk up some stairs, you get to a door. You can't open the door. (laughs) No, and that's not to say that it's not fun. And I enjoyed the single player more than I expected to. But it was definitely frustrating not being able to pick my own path. So I would, again, state that if you want to pick up Battlefield 3, that means that you want to play multiplayer online. (laughs) And if you don't want to play multiplayer online, you should probably be looking at Modern Warfare 3. Which is a really good game. Modern Warfare 3 is the continuation of Modern Warfare 2. It ended in a cliffhanger. The only downside is the game is using the same engine as Modern Warfare 2. Yeah, in fact, that was maybe my first complaint. I expected, based on my experiences with Battlefield 3, a massive engine update. And to me, it kind of felt like an HD reskinning of the last game. And it really wasn't even an HD reskin. It's the same size textures and everything. The difference is the levels are a lot shorter and they have more action in them. You know, there's a couple of scenes where there's a lot going on and it's a pretty big map, but you're following, you know, you have to follow this path because someone else is taking you on it. Right. So it'll drive you across the ocean to a submarine and then when you get into the submarine, you can kind of move around a little bit more. But everything is going on around you, like explosions, planes flying over, buildings being destroyed. And all of that takes up processing power, as we all know. And it's how they get around having a better engine that looks better and more stuff going on. They just make the level a lot smaller with more stuff going on. So they get the same pixel count, just in a smaller... You know, now, the multiplayer aspect of Modern Warfare 3 is kind of what I was looking at. And it really was, I think, easier for me to pick up the pacing and the feel of it than even Battlefield, which was a pleasant surprise. You know, in the past... I've really felt like the modern Warfare games in general have become more and more twitchy as they progressed. This one, I don't know if it was the level design or just the pacing in general, I didn't get that feeling. It felt like you could get right into the action. There were more multiplayer maps than I expected out of the box. And leveling up in the perks and stuff happened very quickly, almost unnoticeably. So I would definitely give it a huge thumbs up for multiplayer. You know, I'm a single player guy. I like the single player in Modern Warfare 3. There's also a pseudo multiplayer mode, which is the Spec Ops. Oh, yeah. And they have two modes. They have the survival mode where you have to eliminate waves of enemies. And then they also have the mission one, which takes missions from the single player mode. And you can go and challenge yourself to go and either finish it faster or you know, more points and you know, getting headshots and stuff like that. So you can kind of tune yourself. Mm-hmm. And those can be played co-op. They can be played co-op. 
I've been playing, you know, the single just because I didn't want to hop online for this particular right. one. But the I find that the survival modes are actually really quite fun. Oh, yeah. And they have a lot of replay value because, you know, you get to level six or whatever. You can't start at level six. You have to start all over at level one. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you can kind of tell where people come in. But they change it up enough that if you move to the other side of the map, the enemies spawn in different spots. So it is a different game every time you play it. I know that we're both playing Modern Warfare 3, but there are also a lot of really great games that I haven't gotten to yet. Such as? Well, I'm really looking forward to Elder Scrolls V, which is Skyrim. I've heard a lot about that game, and I even saw a petition to try to get it banned. Oh, no. I'm glad it's getting a lot of press, and, and with good reason. It just looks phenomenal. Game of the year, kind of craziness, open world. You know, I've seen so much good about it. And it takes me back to when I used to play Oblivion. So Oblivion, that's version 4, right? Yes. And so is that a real-time strategy or an RTS or what kind of... Talk to me here because I'm <laughs> familiar with Oblivion. So uh, Oblivion and the Elder Scrolls series in general are really role-playing games that have been taken into the first-person realm. So think of it as kind of a swords and sorcery first-person shooter. It does have your typical RPG elements with leveling up and gaining gear and getting stronger as the game progresses, but all of the action takes place like a first-person shooter, where you're actually sword fighting, which is sometimes more successful than others, casting spells, shooting a bow, just like you would shoot a gun in any of your first-person shooters. Okay. So this game would have a lot of replay value then, right? The Elder Scrolls, and especially Skyrim, are some of the largest games out there uh, maybe the only comparable is the uh, you know the old Rockstar games and the Liberty Cities and all of the Grand Theft Auto games where you have just a huge open environment. Well, these play the same way, but in that swords and sorcery mentality, not unlike the Fallout games, it's possible to just put an amazing amount of time into these games. Now, is there a multiplayer aspect so that you can play this kind of like a World of Warcraft or something like that? There is not, but that actually works as a strength in the game because it gives you the opportunity to really impact the world where, kind of like your Deus Ex, you have your decisions and the quests you make and the way you play affects the game in general. Uh, I mean, to give an example, in Oblivion, I probably put over 100 hours into the game because I really just had that drive to finish every single quest even to the point where sometimes I was just out looking for random items because I'd heard they existed, not because I needed them. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you play this on the console, or is this a PC game for you? Well, that's a great question. You can get Skyrim on both, and a lot of people say that the best experience in all of these games is on the PC because you can get a lot of user-created content. But I think that these games lend themselves really well to console play because you have a pretty simple first person really interface and well it isn't challenged by the systems as much as i'd like but it gives you the opportunity to just sit down on yourself and get that big screen tv rolling and just lose yourself in the environment sounds like fun i might have to try it so what about you what are you looking forward to actually it's serious sam 3 before first encounter yeah and that just came out it did, and I've been looking for it, and it turns out it's a Steam-only game, so I'm going to have to get the key and download it, which is, uh, I have to admit, is a first for me. You would think that it wouldn't be, but <laughs> I am a tangible kind of guy where I go to the store, I buy the game, I want to have it sit on my shelf and kind of show it off. 
can't really show off your Steam list except to your Steam friends. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I like about this game is that it looks like the originals. Series Sam, First Encounter, and Second Encounter. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. In fact, recently I had the opportunity through one of these sales online to pick up the first two games in their HD with the opportunity to play back through them in anticipation of getting BFE for myself. Nice. And see, the HD content, I can't imagine what that looks like because the original games, for what they were back when they were released, really did look good. You know, huge maps. It it continuously loaded, so you weren't at really an end of a level. You know, when you change levels, it would obviously reload it for you. But you could be walking forever, and it would never seem to, like, pause or anything. Literally hundreds sometimes of enemies on the screen. And probably my favorite thing about all of the Serious Sam games, and it's true also in BFE, is the ability to play just an amazing amount of players. In fact, BFE supports 16 players in co-op. And that would be awesome because, <laughs> you know, you got, as you mentioned before, hundreds of enemies coming after you. You know, you just mow through them, and if you die, you go and spawn with your group, and then you go start shooting again. Yeah, I just have so many fond memories of sitting down with a group of people and just attacking the game as a team that I just can't wait to try the new one. Yeah, actually, you know, now that I think about it, at the last Ninja Lane LAN party, when uh, we were taking a break from Battlefield, I believe, we loaded up Serious Sam First Encounter, and there was like six of us that went through the entire <laughs> First Encounter as a co-op game. You know, we were done in just a couple of hours, but it was one of those that everybody was engaged. Everybody was looking... And, you know, we had the whole LAN party involved. I couldn't recommend the first two games enough. They're cheap, their replayability is high from a co-op multiplayer mode, and the new game, I think, is going to have that same appeal. So I can definitely understand why you're looking forward to that one. So what other games are you going to look forward in this season of games? Well, for me, I think the other game that I'm really excited about is the new Uncharted, Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception. Yeah. <laughs> The first two games, to me, just set the bar for single-player play. And there is a multiplayer aspect, and I just didn't find it very appealing. I'd rather play multiplayer in other arenas. But the game itself is, I think, the pinnacle of what the PlayStation 3 can do, which is, of course, the only system it's available on. The storyline, incredible. The characters, very memorable. It has almost an Indiana Jones aspect to it that I find very appealing. Definitely for me, the game of the year before I even pick it up. (laughs) That's saying a lot for a PlayStation 3 only game. Absolutely. And I think that they've done a really phenomenal job of building on the characters, uh, not remembering per se what happened in detail, but the characters survive. It references the previous. It, It feels like, I mean, literally you're watching the third movie in an Indiana Jones style franchise in fact, so much so that they've made fun of it in the commercials. <laughs> well, I hope it's a lot better than the third movie. <laughs> I do, too. But, you know, it is multiplayer, but the actual core of the game is single player. It's fairly in-depth. The second one I think I beat in a long weekend. I just couldn't put it down. Three days straight, boom, I'm done. So the third one is supposed to be a little bit deeper. It looks a lot better. And I just can't anticipate getting to it soon enough but unfortunately i think that's going to have to wait for the christmas vacation so i can just sit down and bang it out (laughs) and how about you anything else well you know believe it or not i dusted off an old game that that kept me going you know i'm going to say this is this is dating me here 
This was back in high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. NetHack. Oh, NetHack. Yeah, you know, that game is still in development. You know, nobody's really done much with it, but, you know, you look at the at the build log, there's been updates to it. Oh. And I still remember playing the original Hack. <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Back in the day, you know, flop, five and a quarter inch floppies. But, yeah, I pulled out NetHack the other day, and I just started playing through it, and next thing I know, it was four hours later, and it's dark outside, and Sadly enough, it's time to go to bed. But, you know, what's interesting about NetHack is that it's a portable game. You know, it's been ported. It's on the PC. It's on the Mac. It's on Linux. Right. It's even on Facebook. Oh, no. It's pretty crazy. Well, sometimes the classics just hold well, and that's one that I'm not surprised is making a resurgence. A lot of modern games are really based or at least influenced heavily by NetHack. It's true. The, what was it? Diablo was based almost entirely on the gameplay of NetHack. There's even some monsters that are transposed across. You know, any of those um, real-time strategy games or those adventure-style games are really based on it. You know, and what got me started on this was the uh, over the weekend, Stars was showing the Lord of the Rings, the extended edition, back to back. Oh boy! For the for the entirety of the weekend. And, you know, you start looking at that movie, and even in the books, you know, and you see a lot of references that are either created from NetHack or created for NetHack. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you got the Mines of Moria. Well, there was actually a game called Mines of Moria that was based That's on right. NetHack. That's right. You know, some of the monsters that, are, that you fight in NetHack, actually you fight, well, they fought in Lord of the Rings. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how these things are ingrained and how they've really developed well i am a little surprised one of the games i've kind of circled around but you haven't mentioned is rage and i would think that rage would be right up your alley originally it was and it turns out that you know i i was watching rage because i'm a i'm an id fan you know quake quake 2 doom i love them yeah. So I was really looking forward to Rage. But, you know, when they said that it was a driving game, I got a little skeptical. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes out, you know, I resisted the urge to buy it on launch day. And I waited for some of the, the reviews to come out. And it turns out that the gameplay was all right. You know, people weren't really impressed by it. And the graphics sucked. And which is really sad since they created this new graphics engine that was supposed to handle mega textures. Yeah. But, you know, you go up next to a car and you should see, like, a detailed bumper. And all it would be is, like, a flat texture and it's just all blurry. And, you know, they were saying that that was a problem with the game. It's been patched. But, you know, there's a lot of damage that can be done from that first release of a new game if it's not polished enough to really attract people. Well, it certainly won't be the first game that struggled that way. And uh, I'm glad to hear that. In fact, it probably will keep it off of my list, at least for the holiday season. Yeah, well, you know, when it gets cheaper, maybe I'll try it. You know, after a couple of patches, they might have fixed some stuff. So we'll see what happens. Well, I know that we have talked about a lot of, well, pretty popular games and a few that aren't so much. But we've got to have missed some games that everyone else is looking forward to or playing now. So uh, drop by our forums and let us know if we've missed a hot game that we should check out or if there's something that you just can't put down. Let us know at the NinjaLand forums. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes. If you have any questions, drop by the forums or email us at podcast at ninjalane.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Ninja Lane by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter or join us on Facebook. 
This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2011. Thanks for listening.